0: Thank you for that worship. God is good. All the time. All the time, God is good. See, somebody's seen the movie. That's good. Well, to no surprise, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. We'll continue uh, taking a look at John's Gospel. Uh, wrapping up a, an important section uh, this morning of John's Gospel as we finish up uh, chapter 4. As you turn, I want to share with you about an interesting moment in my life. I I know y'all love hearing stories about me because oftentimes I'm making fun of myself, uh, which is better than making fun of other family members, so (laughs) often a good thing. When I was about 17 years old, I was told by a dentist that I had to have my wisdom teeth removed. Most people have gone through that, Uh, but I had an interesting problem along with that. I had a receding gum line and was going to have to have a gum graph at the same time my wisdom teeth were taking out. Now, the powers that were in my life, and when I say the powers of those that were in my life, those who controlled my schedule as a 17-year-old, thought it to be a great idea to schedule this operation the day before Thanksgiving. (laughs) The one holiday that i thoroughly enjoy partaking in <laughs> even back then and yet here i go day before tramping off to the oral surgeon to get my wisdom teeth taken out and a gum graft knowing good and well i'm not going to be able to eat anything the next day that was problem number 1 it goes downhill from there as hard as it is to believe all right so i get there and the oral surgeon comes in you know, a chunky fella, which I'll explain that in just a second, and proceeds to give me the laughing gas. By the way, that's some good stuff. <laughs> not going to lie. Uh, I, I remember that uh, very well. And, but I proceeded on the laughing gas to make fun of this chunky fella who was going to be cutting things out of my mouth, which I think led to the next problem in this series of events. Uh, so the, the surgery itself, I had the laughing gas, I made fun of him and laughed at him and called him fat and all this other stuff. And then he put me to sleep. Or whatever they do to make you sleep while they proceed to just rip your mouth to pieces. <clears throat> uh, because the gum graft was taking tissue from the roof of my mouth and putting it on my bottom gum. That's what the powers that be in my life decided instead of something else pig tissue or something would have been much easier. And here's why. Because when I woke up, all I saw was the nurse who was very concerned on the fact that I was bleeding profusely from my mouth and that the surgeon had left for vacation. <laughs> no joke. I mean, this is all true. I couldn't make this up. He had cut a little too deep on the roof of my mouth and had nicked a significantly large vein in the roof of my mouth, not an artery, uh, but a vein, and she couldn't get it to stop bleeding. She was carterizing it, it would bleed. Uh anyway, so she put she packed my mouth full of galls and sent me home. With the, that's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> Actually it is kind of funny. Because as we're walking out, I hear her panicking and telling my parents Call the ER when it starts bleeding again and go to the hospital. And I, again, I'm just sitting back thinking, what is wrong with my mouth? It was a simple surgery that was going to take Thanksgiving away. And now they're talking about the ER. Well, it gets worse. <laughs> Within an hour of being home, I'm eating the only thing I'm allowed to eat, ice cream. Not a bad choice. And it was vanilla ice cream that, for some odd reason, was red when I took the spoon out of my mouth. <laughs> and immediately, here we go to the hospital. And we get to the hospital, and I will spare you the details of what happened to the nurse, who I about caused to pass out. That's just kind of the gross part of the story. Y'all don't need to know. Ask me later. Uh but they put me in a room immediately with an ER doctor who comes in and says, I don't know what to do with the mouth. <laughs> I, I'm bleeding the whole time. I mean, it's it's not stopped. I've been bleeding for 45 minutes. And I've got this little lady with this little suction cup saying, we have to have to change that thing. It's almost full. And an ER doctor who has no clue, he says, I'm going to have to call the oral surgeon who's like five hours away by this point. <clears throat> I don't know how far away he was. Uh, but he was on vacation. He was heading to vacation. Uh, and long story short, things did not go well. Uh, there was a paramedic who did not transport me to the hospital but ended up in the room. And he basically sat down beside me and he says, the best thing we're going to do right now is put you back asleep. is give you something to relax yourself. And he says, you need to tell your parents you love them. I'm 17. i got a life ahead of me. I had not even met Jennifer yet. I had a girlfriend at the time. Uh, So I said, okay, so we're going to do this. Apparently my blood pressure was starting to fall and they just wanted me to relax and not panic or do all that stuff. So I did, and before they kind of gave me this whatever stuff to make me relax and sleep, I prayed. Anybody ever been there? When your life is on the line. And so I was like, uh, you yeah, know, I, I went through the typical prayer. You know, God save my life, don't let me die. I've got, you know, you, you go through those things. It's a serious moment. I mean, it's a funny situation looking back many years later. Uh, but I'm, I'm pleading. I was like, you know, I, I'll go to church more. I mean, I already went a lot. I don't know how much more I could have went. I'll read my Bible more. You, you know, we're pleading for our lives. And then I prayed that prayer. It's like, but God, if you decide for me to die, I want to go to heaven. Now, I'm asleep after that. I wake up sometime later, and all I see is this really, really bright light. And I'm like, yes! I mean, I was sad I died, but I was like, I made it! And then as the haze wore off, I saw the face of that oral surgeon. And I said, nope, going the wrong direction. <laughs> now, you're wondering why I tell that story. Because it's funny. That's why I tell that story. I tell that story to demonstrate in situations when we are facing life or death, we often have those prayers where we plead with God to do something for us, and we often make promises to do something in return. As a 17-year-old, do you think I kept any of those promises? Well, I mean, I'm a pastor now. That may have been one of them. But it took me a while to get there. No. What I want to talk about today, and I use that situation in my life to demonstrate this idea of an authentic faith. Do we have an authentic faith? In that moment, I would tell you that my faith has never been more authentic because I was facing death. But after I get stitched up and go home and things are back to normal and I get to celebrate the next Thanksgiving, is my faith still authentic? Am I still pleading with God In every other moment of my life, I can honestly tell you for me, no, I kind of forgot those promises rather quickly, as many of us do after we survive those situations. But today we're going to see a guy who comes to Jesus in desperation. And honestly, he comes to Jesus with a very unauthentic faith, but he leaves believing that jesus is the messiah that jesus is the messiah we have been studying the gospel of john we have been looking at uh the the theme of our series has been come and see we've seen that throughout that there's an invitation for us to come and see who jesus is and what jesus is doing we've been introduced to the whole book in the first 18 verses uh, we then kind of get kind of a, a secondary introduction at the end of chapter 1. And then chapter 2 starts with the turning water into wine in Cana. And as you read the story, as we read it, you're going to notice Jesus is back in Cana. So we've got two bookends from chapter 2 to the end of chapter 4, which is giving us that this is, has been one large section that John has been teaching us about the very early stages of Jesus' ministry. The very beginning, the first things of Jesus' public ministry. Now the whole of the public ministry will run through chapter 12, but this is just the beginning of the beginning. And in Cana, we're getting to the closing section of the beginning of Jesus' ministry. So read with me in John chapter 4 starting in verse 43. After two days, he left for Galilee. Now remember, he's been in Samaria, town's called Shekhar. He's been ministering to the outcasts, and the, it sounds like the entire village has come to believe in Jesus. Uh, not necessarily because of miracles, that's gonna be important, but because of the words that Jesus has preached and who they've discovered that Jesus is. So after two days, he leaves, continuing this journey that he started at the beginning of chapter four, heading to Galilee, his home region. He's from Nazareth, which is in Galilee. Verse uh, 44. Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. When they entered Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival. For they also had gone to the festival. And verse 46. He went again to Cana of Galilee, where he had turned water into wine. There, a certain royal official, whose son was ill at Capernaum, which is a little further south and a little bit east, uh, when his uh, when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Gal- into Galilee, he went to him and pleaded with him, "Come down and heal his to come down and heal his son, since he was about to die." So you have a father whose son is on his deathbed, and this man comes to plead with Jesus. Verse 48, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Sir, the official said, come down before my boy dies. Go, Jesus told him. Your son will live. The man believed What Jesus said to him. And departed. While he was still going down. His servant met him saying that his boy was alive. He asked them at what point he got better. Yesterday at one in the afternoon. The fever left him. Verse 53. The father realized this was the hour. At which Jesus had told him your son will live. So he himself believed along with his whole household. Now this was the second sign Jesus performed after he came from Judah to Galilee. The first thing I think it's very important for us to take a look at is this verses 43 to 45, because there's two very strange statements that are made that's somewhat confusing. Uh, But as often the case, as you read John, there's Uh, There's kind of an introduction, there's a setting, there's a group of passages that set the stage, then there's a conflict that comes up, then there's a resolution, and then there's closing comments. That's the general pattern that you see in, in each narrative throughout the Gospel of John. And so the setting is Jesus is heading towards Galilee, but this strange parenthetical phrase is in verse 44. Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. Now this is similar to what some of the other gospels say where it says that Jesus didn't find honor in his hometown of Nazareth. Now that makes a lot of sense because Jesus would have grown up, they would have seen him as this little bitty boy. It's hard for adults to see someone who they recognize as a child become a great leader or a great teacher. Right? I mean, think about, you know, the little boy that you kept in the nursery who grows up to be the great, you know, the greatest preacher ever. It's hard sometimes to show them honor and respect because we see them as that little boy. We see them as that child or that youth who used to run around and jump on things and get in trouble all the time. And so it it, it makes sense that he's going to have difficulty in his home country for that reason. But that's not what Jesus is talking about because verse 45 is very odd too. When he entered Galilee, he was welcomed. And so your mind should immediately go to, wait, wait. Jesus just said he's not going to be honored by his people in his hometown, but he gets to his hometown or his home area, and they welcome him. What is going on? Well, the answer to that question is very clearly spelled out, where it says that because they had seen everything he did in Jerusalem during the festival, it's easy to welcome somebody. When that somebody is doing some really cool stuff. Changing water into wine. Kicking people out of the temple. The money changers. And we know he did other kinds of signs and miracles in Jerusalem that aren't listed. And they've seen all this. So they see Jesus as the miracle worker. If I've got a problem, I can go to him and he's going to solve it. They're following Jesus for what Jesus is doing for their situation. Now, I want to clarify that we're not talking about the resurrection right now. We're not talking about the crucifixion right now. We're talking about just Jesus meeting physical needs. Jesus is doing signs and wonders, and they're believing. It's kind of like this. Richard Ross is probably the leading expert in youth ministry in the country. He's a guy I have followed, I have read. I love everything that Richard Ross has ever put out about youth ministry. He does this little video, and I tried so hard to find one and couldn't because I thought it would be so cool. But he pulls out a little figurine from his pocket, and it's he calls it his pocket Jesus. It's a little Jesus figurine that fits in his pocket. And he tells this illustration where a lot of people will keep Jesus in their pocket, close but hidden, until they need something from him. And then they pull Jesus out. Jesus, I'm going through some financial difficulty. I could really use a raise. Get a raise. Jesus goes back in the pocket. Oh, ooh, Just got a bad diagnosis from the doctor. Pull the Jesus out. I really need your help to get through this. You get through it. Jesus goes back in the pocket. That's what's really going on. The people, the Jewish people are not believing in Jesus for who he is. They are not demonstrating an authentic faith in Jesus. Uh, you can go back to when he was in Jerusalem and many people were starting to believe in him, but he would not entrust himself to them because then in Jerusalem, just maybe a week or so before this event's taking place, he Jesus says that their faith is superficial. They're only following Jesus for what they can get from him Now, this topic is going to come back up in chapter 6 in one of the most heartbreaking passages of the whole Bible where people who are following Jesus, they want him to feed them breakfast. And Jesus starts talking about how he is the bread of life and that he is the Messiah. And it says many of those people stopped following him. Well, he wasn't going to give them breakfast. They put Jesus back in their pocket and they went about their life. And so in the midst of this kind of setting where the Jewish people are not accepting him like the Samaritans have accepted him, we then have a Jew, a a royal official, possibly a Jewish person, possibly a Gentile from the Roman court. He shows up and he begins to plead with Jesus because he has heard that Jesus can heal his son. Now, this is what's important. I don't want you to miss what I'm telling you. I don't want you to misunderstand. This official absolutely has come to Jesus to get something. And he pleads with Jesus for his son to live. But this is what I want you to see. Authentic faith often starts when we find ourselves in de- desperate situations and we have to plead with Jesus. You see, it's not a bad thing that people pulled the little Jesus out of the pocket when they need him. It's only bad when you put him back in the pocket. This man has come to Jesus pleading for Jesus to save his son's life. I don't want my... Any good father would do this. This is the start of authentic faith, understanding that we need Jesus to do something for us, to heal us, to heal his son. For you and I, it's it's really this. We need to recognize that we are sick and that we are dying because of our sin. The wages of sin is death, the the Bible says. And that the healer, the great physician, Jesus Christ, came to heal, heal us and save us from our sin. We have to recognize that we need Jesus. We need to recognize that authentic faith starts with pleading for Jesus to save our lives. And Jesus kind of rebukes this a little bit in verse 48, but I don't want you to... To misunderstand, it's not really a rebuke of the Roman official. In verse 48, he says, unless you people, this is plural. He's not talking to just the Roman official. He's talking to everybody. He's like, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, what's the point of the whole book of John? John writes, so that people would believe. And that by believing, they would have eternal life. So Jesus rebukes the people around him saying, all you want is for me to do something for you and then you're going to go back home and forget about me. That's not real belief. That's not authentic faith. The true test of our faith is how we live our life when things are going well. When we don't need to plead for Jesus. Of course, I would argue that because of our sin, we should be pleading with Jesus every day. This Roman official, this royal official, he will continue to plead. So authentic faith starts by understanding there's this great need and we need to plead for healing. But then you see he continues to do it. You're seeing that a very limited faith begin to develop in this official. Jesus recognizes that faith and says, your son will live. Now here's what you got to see. Did the man know his son was alive in that moment? No. All he heard was the words of Jesus. He did not see the miracle. He did not see a sign. He simply heard the Savior speak. And in his limited faith, It says that he believed what Jesus said. He's developing trust in Jesus. One of the second steps of authentic faith is trusting in the word of God. Trusting in Jesus. For many people here, and knowing how this story ends, this can be difficult for a lot of people. Because many people have prayed and prayed for a loved one to live. We've had students in ministry throughout the years who've had parents die. And before their parents died, they were praying and pleading for God to save their dad, save their mom. And they died anyway. Was Jesus or was God less faithful to that person? No. No. No, we have to trust God's word in which tells us that God knows what he's doing. God knows best for our life. Circumstances don't always end like it ends here. Sometimes that healing that we desperately pray for happens when God calls a loved one home into heaven. It does not make God any less Faithful. What we are asked to do with our authentic faith is to trust and believe the word of Jesus, the word of God. So the Roman official departed with this belief that Jesus was going to answer his prayer. It's a couple day journey, maybe a day, half a day and a half. He probably stops and spends the night somewhere and then as he's traveling. His servants rushed, have been rushing to find him on this road. And they say, your son is healed. And he finds out it happened at the exact moment Jesus said it would. And here's where the authentic faith really is demonstrated. He himself believed along with his whole household. What started as a royal official taking Jesus out of his pocket, kept Jesus out of his pocket. He believed. He trusted Jesus, not just in this moment, but for the rest of his life. That is authentic faith, where we trust Jesus in good times and bad times, when we're praying in good times and bad times, when we're reading the Bible in good times and bad times, where you're not just making these idle promises in moments of disaster, like when you're on the deathbed because of a big oral surgeon, cut your mouth open, but that but that you keep your faith through it all. We don't just too many Christians want the blessings of Jesus without belonging to Jesus. You see what I'm saying? They want all the blessings, they want all the good stuff, they want all the supposed prosperity that comes with being a Christian, but they don't want to belong to Jesus. They don't want to endure the hardships of being a Christian. They don't want to they don't want to They don't want to go to the mission field if Jesus tells them to go to the mission field. They don't want to quit their job if Jesus tells them to go do this. They don't want to stand up and proclaim Jesus at their schools because they're going to be made fun of. They don't want Jesus with them all the time. But authentic faith says that Jesus is not in your pocket, that Jesus is leading you and walking with you and in front of you, and that you are following him and proclaiming him and trusting him each and every moment of each and every day. That's what belief looks like. Not intellectual belief, not emotional belief, but a spiritual belief that trusts in Jesus Christ to save you from the sickness of sin. But too many Christians put Jesus upon a shelf like Aladdin's lamp, pull him off, rub it out, your genie pops out, you make your wish, and you put him back on the shelf. That's not authentic faith. Coming to church once a week for fire insurance is not authentic faith. Authentic faith is following Jesus every single day. And so the question I just leave you with this morning is do you have authentic faith? Are you following faithfully daily? Or if when you get up and leave here and start your week tomorrow, are you going to put Jesus back in your pocket? I'm going bring him out Wednesday. I'll bring him out next Sunday. How's your life? Church, evaluate your individual life and answer the question, do you have authentic faith? that believes the words of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, we, we come to you today wrestling with this truth of our authentic faith. We all struggle. We all have moments where we're not as faithful to you as we should be. But are we striving to follow you daily? Are you more than just something added to our resume, something added to our shelf? Are you our Lord? Are you our Savior? Are you our King? Do we follow you and worship you and trust you as King and Lord? Father, help each and every person here, me, everyone, to honestly answer the question do we have an authentic faith? Father, help us to accept the answer that your Spirit lays upon our heart and then show us how we can change. And Father, we pray that the Spirit of God would pour into our lives and that you would change us, that you would help us to be more committed Christians, that you would help us to trust you in all circumstances, all the time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.